0: Okay, so back to Earth with a bump, and I want to leave some time for for questions from the audience. But I know that your wife, Siegfried, and you have both championed accessibility by design. We've talked about privacy by design and ethics. Perhaps it's bigger in the US than it is over here, but there is significant litigation about the fact that devices, IoT, websites, apps are not designed with accessibility in mind, so just tell us a bit more about your concerns there. I am really embarrassed, in a sense, because if you think of the most versatile piece of equipment ever invented, it's a computer. Think about it, you can do anything, you can figure out how to program. And specifically, accessibility to online services and computer-based services should be a super high priority because it's possible to do this you know, technologically possible to do it, and yet it doesn't get done very much. Part of the reason for that is it's hard. When I used to teach programming uh, when I was at Stanford, uh, I remember telling the engineers, it's easy to create a program that's hard to use. It's hard to create a program that's easy to use. And it's especially hard to create a program that is adaptable enough to deal with people with varying ranges of vision You know, from perfect vision to not-so-great vision to blindness, or people who, uh, you know, have perfect hearing, or people like me have to wear hearing aids, or who are just totally deaf for whom there is no uh, alternative. And So I have pressed very hard at Google and anywhere else that's willing to listen to say that we should be designing things to be fully accessible for everybody. And I'm sure you've all experienced the... um, situation where somebody does something that's specific to deal with a, a particular, let's say, physical accessibility problem, like curb cuts, so, you, so a wheelchair can go up, and we discover how convenient they are for a baby pram or uh, you know, a, a grocery cart or something else. So often, it turns out, these technologies are useful for other purposes than their original intent. A good example of that is captioning. And I'm very uh, dependent upon captioning for television and movies and things like that. Um, My wife, however, is the more dramatic example. She was born uh, with normal hearing, but she had spinal meningitis when she was three years old, and the temperature was, you know, so high that it destroyed the little sillier hairs that are inside the cochlea. You know, how they move as the eardrum oscillates, the ciliary hairs move, and they generate neural signals, which the brain interprets as sound. All of those little ciliary hairs died when she had this high temperature. So at age three, she becomes profoundly deaf. And she lives for 50 years lip reading. She never learned to sign, but she was lip reading. Went all through school, college, raised two kids, entirely deaf, lip reading only. A huge challenge. She was really good at it. When we moved to Washington in 1976, when I went to work for ARPA, I thought she was working for the CIA but couldn't tell me because she was such a good lip reader. So uh, anyway, around 1996, she learns about cochlear implants by roaming around on the World Wide Web. And so she goes up to uh, Johns Hopkins University to the hospital there, and they test her to see whether or not Her auditory nerve is still alive, even though a little silly, hairs are gone. She tests positive for that. So they say, you're a candidate for a cochlear implant. So she goes up there and gets a cochlear implant. It's a 45-minute operation. It's an outpatient operation. She comes home the same day, and then she waits for a couple of weeks while everything heals. Then she goes back up to Johns Hopkins to be activated, which basically means... Getting a speech processor, which in her case was about the size of a cigarette case or a mobile, it takes sound in to a microphone. It does a fast Fourier transform to figure out which frequencies are present and in what amplitudes. Then it figures out which of the 16 electrodes inside her cochlea it's going to stimulate electrically to cause the brain to think it's hearing. So within 20 minutes of turning on the speech processor map, she picks up the phone and calls me. You know, we'd been married for 30 years. We had not been able to use the phone, so she calls. It wasn't a deep conversation, but it was pretty amazing. Then I get home because I wasn't there for this for this activation. I get home and I can't get her off the phone. She's like a 53-year-old teenager, and and you know. Uh, anybody who happened to call, you know, for marketing, she loved it, you know. <laughs> and I was senior VP of engineering at MCI at the time. AT&T would call, hello, we're calling, would you like to switch to AT&T? She said, oh, where are you? Oh, you're in India, really, where did you learn your English? She went on <laughs> on for half an hour, and this poor soul, he goes, so are you going to switch? And he said, no, my husband works for MCI, but thanks for calling, click. <laughs> then she called the library because she decided she wanted to listen to recorded books so she could Learn words and learn how they sounded because she could never couldn't hear a lot of them, and so uh, she uh, called the library and and said, "Can I sign up for recorded books for the blind?" And, and they said, "Oh, well, of course, yes. You know, name, address, phone number." And I remember she's on the phone, and they said, "Now you're blind, aren't you?" And she says, "No, I'm deaf." And there's this long pause <laughs> where they're trying to figure, "How's that going to work?" She listened to 500 books on tape. And got to the point where she could tell mispronunciations and, and accents and things like that. Then she decided that she wanted to make sure that, uh, that she would not miss any sounds you know, anywhere. So she, um, she got a, um, an FM transmitter uh, microphone, which she can hear from 150 feet away. It's just a radio transmission. And so um, when we go to you know, noisy parties and things like that, she'll hang that around your neck. The, the Astronomer Royal, a couple of nights ago, was wearing her little transmitter around his neck. Bless his heart. Uh, wonderful guy. Uh, very very uh, uh, cooperative and helpful. Uh, her favorite trick, though, is to excuse herself to go to the ladies' room and leave the microphone on the table so she can hear all the conversation that's going on. So you have to remind people, don't say anything you don't want Sigrid to hear because she's listening. Uh, That's a dramatic piece of technology. Eventually we will be able to do that for people's vision and maybe for spinal uh, harm, you know, damage to the spine which renders people's arms and legs unusable. Uh, But I would like to see the same spirit of recovery uh, show up in all of the way we design software programs as well and we should really commit to that. I pushed very hard at Google and they are responding well. And, and there's significant litigation in the in the states now, isn't there, against it, it, companies that fail that, that fail to take that into account. But you know, on the other side of this, though, I want to say that this is not easy to do. Designing a program that has the adaptability over a wide range for all these different disabilities uh, is not easy, and so we really need to teach people how to do that kind of accessible design.